Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. I caught up with the Deputy Foreign Minister of Poland, Marcin Pcidasz, at the Aspen Security Forum in mid-July. Over the previous few days at the conference, we heard from a number of very senior government officials, including the heads of the CIA and MI6, give rare public assessments of the situation in Ukraine and the state of play of the conflict. Poland is a frontline state to the crisis in Ukraine and has been directly impacted by Russia's invasion, including hosting millions of Ukrainian refugees. Poland was also an early target of Vladimir Putin's efforts to use gas exports as a kind of blackmail. And when Poland refused to pay for Russian gas in rubles, Russian gas was abruptly cut off. This is a situation that may repeat itself in other countries in the months and weeks ahead as energy demands sharply increase as winter approaches. I kick off my conversation with the Deputy Foreign Minister with a discussion about the refugee situation in Poland. We then have an extended conversation about how Poland responded to Russia's abrupt suspension of gas exports and what lessons from that episode Poland might impart to other countries in Europe. We then have a more broad conversation about how Poland's proximity to the fighting in Ukraine is shaping its approach to that conflict. A big thanks to the good folks at the Aspen Security Forum for including Global Dispatches, and I'll have another live recorded episode for you from the forum in the near future. Now here is my conversation with Marcin Pcidasz, the Deputy Foreign Minister of Poland. So I wanted to start by asking you about the refugee situation in Poland. In the early days of the conflict, Over 3 million Ukrainians fled Ukraine into Poland. Can you describe how the Polish government responded to those refugees and what the refugee situation looks like in Poland today? The number you've mentioned is already high. It's more than 5 million Ukrainian citizens who crossed the Polish border. Many of them stayed in Poland. Some of them, of course, returned to Ukraine and then came back. So it's really hard to say how many Ukrainian refugees are currently on the territory of Poland, but it's for sure more than 3 million refugees. From the very beginning of this war, Poland was the first destination for them to come when they were fleeing the conflict zone and the entire territory of Ukraine. We've decided as a government not to create any refugee camp. So all of those Ukrainian refugees were accommodated and the Polish system, mostly because of the open hearts and open houses and homes of ordinary Poles, although the government was coordinating all this. We granted Ukrainian refugees with access to the Polish labor market. The kids are entitled to be enrolled to the Polish schooling system. 
the vast majority, more than 90% of refugees are women with kids since uh, men were not allowed to leave Ukraine due to the fact that they were sent to the front line to fight for the sovereignty of their country. So Ukrainians are very similar to Poles in terms of culture and the language. So it's quite easy to integrate them into the Polish society. Nevertheless, there are some challenges with regard to this. Suddenly, within weeks, we have a couple of millions of people to be accommodated to the system. When it comes to the Polish schooling system, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids apply to join our schooling system, the same with the healthcare system and, and many others. So we are trying to do our best treating them as President of Poland, Andrzej Duda said, as guests, not refugees. We are pretty sure that quite a significant number of refugees will stay with us for a longer period. We're happy to help them. Is that sustainable, having so many refugees in your cities over the long term? Like, I have to imagine, you know, things like rental prices, housing prices have probably increased and that, you know, might upset native poles. Well, as I told you, there are some challenges with regards to that. But as for now, we are trying to do our best to deal with those challenges. There are some attempts, of course, to foster divisions between Poles and Ukrainians and having in mind that there is economic crisis ahead of us, the inflation problems. Of course, there are some historical problems in terms of our relations with Ukrainians before. But as for now, we are doing our best in order to make them feel safe and make them feel like home. So I wanted to kick off by asking you about the refugee situation, because I think it is a good demonstration of Poland being on the very front line of this crisis. I think another example of that was the decision by Russia to cut off gas exports to Poland, ostensibly because Poland refused to pay for the gas in rubles. Can you explain how Poland responded to that shutoff of Russian gas? Well, we were pretty aware of the fact that Russia one day may try to blackmail us with cutting off gas supplies. So the government decided to diversify, decided to build alternative routes, the Baltic pipe, the connection with Norway through Denmark in order to have a alternative supply of gas. In 2006, we've already decided to build the LNG terminal in order to have another option to import gas from other destinations, mostly from the US, but also from Gulf countries. So having this experience of blackmailing Ukraine and Belarus, we knew that we could be one day the next country to be blackmailed. So we were somehow prepared. And then in April this year, after the invasion to Ukraine, Russia, despite the fact that the contract says that the money should be paid in euros, decided unilaterally asked to pay in rubles, which was another way of blackmailing. We refused to do that, wanted to fulfill the contract, but we thought it's not anymore any stable and predictable business partner decided to shut us. So in terms of gas, we are quite secure. Our storages are in 95% full and having alternative routes, our own resources plus LNG terminal and this autumn we're going to open this Baltic pipe from Norway. What's more, we'll try also to be a provider of energy security to other countries in the, in the region. I read that you're going to seek to export Polish energy to other countries in the region. And it's historically, Poland has not been a huge net exporter of, of energy. Yes, that's right. But in 2015, President Duda decided to launch a new initiative called Three Seas Initiative in order to 
create more possibilities of interconnectivity between the Central European countries. So we have decided to build more interconnectors with Lithuania, with the Czech Republic, with Slovakia, and also hopefully one day with Ukraine. So having those opportunities to get gas from other sources, we can also sell it to our partners. But it's not only Poland, it's also Lithuania. It's worth mentioning Lithuania has its own LNG terminal and having this interconnector with Poland, we can help each other. Now it's rather Lithuania, which will be providing gas to the Polish market, but one day can go the other way. So it's all about uh, interconnectivity and more opportunities. And we were seeking to be independent on Russian gas quite successfully right now. Hopefully, other big European partners will follow that path because it seems that it was a good decision, good choice to do. Well, that, that's my, my next question. We're having this conversation because it is widely expected, or at least there is profound concern, that Russia might cut off gas supplies to much of Europe in the months ahead, and even in the depths of winter when gas needs are highest, because most of Northern Europe heats their homes that way. And this would be a transparent attempt to perhaps inject some disunity in what has so far been a unified European response to the Ukraine crisis. What can Poland do to prevent that outcome, to prevent disunity that would stem from perhaps political unrest or political problems caused by rationing of gas? Well, we don't have to wait until winter. Russia has already cut off gas supplies to several Western European countries, for example, Denmark or the Netherlands, uh, Poland, as well as other countries in this region. Of course, there is a huge risk that we're going to have a problem with this during the winter time. I must say that there was a time to be prepared for such a scenario, and we were aware of this risk. That's why we diversified. Not every European state decided to do that. Some of them were deepening the dependency on the, on Russian gas. Of course, uh, we are talking about our German neighbors. They are in a much more difficult uh, situation now. It's a good decision that Chancellor Scholz decided to build LNG terminal now to diversify. It's a good decision they stopped using the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Now, as the European Union, we need to keep the unity. We are ready as Poland to provide energy security based on our capacity, if there will be the only option to sell gas to the European market, of course, we're going to do it. But let me remind you that there are also other opportunities. Russia was not the only supplier of gas to Europe. There are southern partners, which were supplied by North African partners. There are other LNG terminals in Western Europe. So the more gas we have on the European market, the better for all of us. But it's not only gas, which is a source of energy. We may think about nuclear power plants. So for us in Poland, it's not easy to understand why our German neighbors are shutting down their nuclear power plants in the middle of the crisis. We do really encourage them not to do that and to come back to the stability based on the nuclear power plants. And it seems, unfortunately, that some of our partners will need to come back also to coal for this interim period until they will be ready to sustain without Russian gas. I know we know that it's not perfect for climate, but in the times of crisis, it seems that there will be no other choice. Well, how concerned are you that high gas prices, a very cold winter, might fray the political unity that we've seen in Europe thus far? Of course, uh, the risk is there. 
but we need to answer the question whether we are stick to our principles and our values and the international law and our interests of security, or there will be a kind of attempt to come back to the policy of business as usual with Russia. Hopefully, the European Commission will play a bit more active role with regards to that in order to keep the unity with regard to policy towards Russia. But of course, I share your point. The risk is huge. We need to sit together in a club of 27 member states and actively work in order to be more independent on Russian energy energy resources, because this is the moment Mr. Putin is waiting for, for winter and to foster divisions between us. We cannot allow him to do that because today it's Ukraine, but tomorrow it can be any other state of the European Union. On the conflict in Ukraine, you know, you and I here in Aspen have listened to, sat through a number of very senior intelligence officials articulating their belief that this will be a long and drawn out conflict and that more or less it is likely that Russia will maintain control over parts of the Donbass and this fighting will grind on. What would be an acceptable outcome to this conflict from a Polish perspective? Could you accept an outcome in which in return for an end to fighting, Russia maintains control over parts of the Donbass that it currently occupies? I'm not in a position to decide about the territory and the territorial integrity of the sovereign country of Ukraine. It is only the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian nation to decide about this. So I would uh, rather avoid that kind of discussion. What can we offer Mr. Putin to stop this war? What we need to do is to continue our policy, sanctioning Russia and exerting pressure on, on Moscow and supporting Ukraine. And if there will be a desire or readiness of the Ukrainian government to start diplomatic talks with Russia about this situation, it should be their decision because it's their territory, not ours. We were asked to offer our assistance and that's what we are doing. But any acceptance of the occupation of the territory of Ukraine, repeating the same scenario we've just seen in 2015 and next. The Minsk agreement was supposed to preserve peace in this part of the world for some concessions. The concessions were the following that uh, Russia was maintaining uh, their control over part of Donbass. But as we all know, after a couple of years later, they came back and they moved forward. So we haven't maintained to keep the stability and peace in this uh, part of the world for concessions. So it seems that with Russia, you cannot deal that way. This time, I hope there will be no mistake because once uh, we allow them to rule any part of Ukrainian territory for kind of temporary peace, they will treat it just as a pulse in order to probably reshape their army, reshuffle and prepare for the next phase of the operation. Mr. Putin said, referring also to the Peter the Great, that he is recreating the empire of Moscow, I don't know, Tsarist Russia or Soviet Russia. And it seems that for him, Ukraine can be only the beginning of this journey. So we cannot allow him to do it. Any concessions will not bring positive scenarios, will not bring peaceful solution. Russia must withdraw their troops from the occupied territories. So clearly, as you just articulated, Poland is more directly threatened by Putin's messianic vision 
than say countries in Western Europe. So when you're having conversations with your counterparts in Western Europe, how do you articulate your own view that you know this might be like an existential threat for Poland, whereas it might not be for the Netherlands or for France? What are those conversations like? It's not only existential threat to Poland. Mr. Putin is trying to destroy the entire global security architecture to change the rules by violating international law, international regulation. He's trying to recreate the global security architecture. So it's not only about Ukraine, Poland, uh, Lithuania. It's about the world we are living in. He wants this world to be destroyed and uh, somehow to come back to the situation where Russia is um, ruling part of the world by their sphere of influence. Uh, and let me remind you, once uh, Mr. Putin referred to the history of Peter the Great, Tsar of Russia, that during the Alexander I, the Tsar of Russia, Russian troops were in Paris. This, from this period, the word bistro comes from. Hmm, I, I, I did not know that. Uh, bistro, the meaning of this word in Russian is do something quickly, right? So the, the Russian soldiers were asking French waiters to provide them you know, with coffee or, I don't know, uh, or nice uh, Bordeaux wine in a quicker manner. So it seems that Mr. Putin is quite ambitious. So once Russian troops were already in Paris and were in Berlin, let me just remind you the wall of Berlin, uh, I wouldn't say that it's only about Eastern Europe. It's about sphere of influence in the entire Europe. We are all somehow in danger. And when the Russian leader was once asked, where are the borders of Russia? The answer was wherever we want the borders of Russia are. So it is a revisionist country which is trying to create a new world order, basically not based on the international regulations. So we are protecting the world we are living in. We are profiting a lot, all of us, both of our countries, US, Poland, and many other European countries. We need to keep it as it is. Is there anything from Poland's perspective that the Western alliance, the pro-Ukrainian alliance could be doing, but is not doing and should do quickly? Well, we've managed to do quite a lot already as the Euro-Atlantic community, imposing seven packages of sanctions, providing uh, Ukraine with quite sophisticated equipment, technologically advanced, which really is changing the position of uh, Ukraine vis-a-vis -vis the Russian army. And we've also managed to strengthen the NATO posture in the Central Europe in the Eastern flank. What we need to do is to continue that and to do it more bistro, yeah, quickly, and uh, in more efficient way. So more equipment to Ukraine, more NATO troops on the eastern flank, and uh, looking into the policy of sanctions whenever the Russian side is trying to circumvent those sanctions, to tighten the sanctions, to find new ways how to exert pressure on Russia. That's the way we should follow within the next couple of months. And hopefully that will give a lesson to Russia but also to other superpowers based on authoritarian regime to stop their revisionist policy and come back to the dialogue and peaceful relations globally. Well, Mr. Deputy Foreign Minister, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you again to the Deputy Foreign Minister of Poland for spending some time with me during a busy conference. And again, a big thank you to the good folks at the Aspen Security Forum for including me and including the podcast. And I'll have a, another live recorded episode with another diplomat for you 
in the near future. So stay tuned. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.